Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Rehumanize podcast. Hello, Herb Garrity here from Rehumanize International. The podcast today is joined by Lauren Handy, an activist and organizer with Mercy Missions. Uh, Mercy Missions Baton Rouge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Lauren, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do, what your whole deal is? Uh, so I'm based in Baton Rouge and we do uh, crisis intervention for pregnant persons outside of abortion facilities. We go into unhoused communities and we uh, gather supplies for people who are housing insecure but and do basic first aid um, in these in these tent communities or under the bridges and especially in Baton Rouge foot wounds can get really out of control really quickly and believe it or not especially in the capital I've seen this is where my work started uh, <laughs> treating people with gangrene you wouldn't think people with gangrene in America what it's not the Civil War but yes because of the conditions and the systems that are in place people fall through the cl- cracks uh, so Mercy Missions is a search and rescue initiative. We go in and find the ignored needs of the community um, to be in solidarity with the unborn, the abandoned, and the unloved, uh, trying to fill the need where um, others tend to look the other way. Great, yeah. Uh, now Mercy Missions I've been following forever and uh, they go all over. I, I see Lauren across the country doing <laughs> yeah. doing stuff so uh mercy missions they're based in baton rouge but we're in dc now actually yeah, and, yeah. my yeah. work my work started in uh mercy mission started in dc and um but i've gone all around the country uh sidewalk counseled in almost 30 states and help shut down a clinic somewhere, uh, right? Yeah, um, in Maryland, the Silver Spring Planned Parenthood, we led an eight-month campaign. It was a 20-year stronghold, and we were able to shut it down in eight months um, through the help of Jim Sedlak uh, mentoring me and, and guiding us along. And then I've done work in Mexico for a couple orphanages and anti-sex trafficking work. And then um, I lived in Haiti for a while, um, learning about uh, wound care and uh, working at a children's hospital. Great, yeah. I know uh, another big part of what uh, you do and what I see kind of popping off on social media a lot is nonviolent direct action. So first of all, can you explain your definition of nonviolent direct action and how that applies to, to your work to stand with the vulnerable? So nonviolent direct action is when um, you, you look at the situation of where the injustice is happening or where the oppression is happening and you, and you try to figure out how you can physically intervene to disrupt the system that is causing the violence and you have to do it within the best context of whatever anti-violence work you're doing. Uh, most nonviolent direct action that I'm doing with is under anti-abortion pro-life work. Um, for example, uh, Red Rose Rescue or the traditional, um, uh, like for example, sit-ins. There was a sit-in on the 
marked on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Uh, Herb, you were actually there. Yeah, that was a fun time. Lauren uh, served as my jail support. I'm very grateful for that and uh, posted pictures to social media. Um, <laughs> so that that was very helpful. But yeah, that, that was a good event. Um, that was actually the first time I was ever arrested because mm-hmm. I my thing is not nonviolent direct action. It's mm-hmm. something I've been interested in for a long time, but uh, I don't know. I have a lot of friends who have been incarcerated and I just know that it's horrible. So it, it's not something that I've been interested in yes, for myself yes, um yes but i i felt called to do it yeah that was just yesterday right or the yes, day before. Yes, yeah yes, yeah right. no i you can look at my wrist you can't see if you're listening to the podcast but um i still welts from the the plastic cuffs that i was in um but yeah no that i think that that kind of work is really important um and can be very controversial within yes. the the pro-life movement um i know that uh specifically Red Rose Rescues. Um, it's risky because we're not sure what the FACE Act um, has to say about them yet. No one's so, been charged with... Yeah, so far no one's been charged with uh, FACE um, because we intentionally don't block ingress or egress. Um, but going in, we know that um, a lot of motivation behind Red Rose Rescue is uh, religious motivations. Um, I'm personally Catholic, a traditional Catholic, and we know the sacrifice and we're willing to pay the sacrifice whatever it need to be mm-hmm. um, and that's what really drives me for nonviolent direct action uh, the in the Bible the parable of the Good Samaritan where he went into the ditch and went physically intervened to show love and um, and you let the chips fall where they may fall and there, there have been saves, right? Um, and rescues. Yes, at the the one in Detroit, it was we were sued by the abortion provider for restitution because twelve women uh, changed their mind that day. Wow! They lost in the they lost, but yeah. so and we weren't going to give them money anyways. Um, but what's what's very important to understand when uh, it's not how many babies were saved that day it's how many babies were loved um this this i know if i was on my way to death i would want someone there there to be with me to the last possible second as well so so what you're doing you haven't been charged with a, a face act but you have been arrested several times other rescuers have been arrested um do you do you feel any type of way about that? Do you uh, are you concerned about the moral implications mm-hmm. of breaking these laws and entering these clinics? So, so the understanding is we we do not have to follow unjust laws, especially when when children are being systematically killed. Now, property lines they're not unjust, but their application in the context of protecting a facility that is perpetuating killing is unjust. And I have no moral obligation to acknowledge imaginary lines in, in all actuality where um, where there are people who, I mean, for example, if I saw a small child drowning in a pool, then I it would be more than a natural inclination to go and do what I could to save that child. When there is when there is grave evil being committed, we must understand that we have to put our feelings aside or conventions or what people think of us aside and do what is necessary within the context of nonviolent direct action. Yeah, great. 
Can you talk a little bit about uh, what your experiences have been after arrest um, and sort of going through that system? So we always say the uh, Red Rose Rescue or Rescue in general or civil disobedience, the event doesn't end or not the event, the action doesn't end. Once you're in cuffs, it, it continues all the way into being inside on the other side, being in process, being in holding, or being eventually incarcerated, if that's what happens. There is so much evil and grave injustice and dehumanizing of people who are incarcerated <clears throat> in America, and it's easy for our government to get away with this because they are behind bars because they were behind big walls and we can't see and, and in the correlation of um, if there's a window in the womb we wouldn't have abortion well if there was a window in in these prisons we would realize the the insanity of what's happening and so I have a lot of people say well, Lauren, if you're in jail, you can't do pro-life work. Well, in all actuality, it's an extension because <clears throat> especially uh, pregnant people and um, uh, persons of color, if they are pregnant, they are treated inhumanely for um, coerced into abortions or they're uh, refused food or, uh, and that can cause miscarriage or they are denied health care. At the Flint County Jail where I was at, it's $12 a visit. So for the nurse to come and acknowledge you and pass you uh, prenatal vitamins, $12 every day. And so it's just impossible to sustain a healthy pregnancy. And not only that, it's... What was very striking to me was when I was in Flint County, I met TT. A week before I met her, she was going in for an abortion. A sidewalk counselor changed her mind and she was receiving help. She was there and holding with me for stabbing her boyfriend in self-defense. He was trying to cause a miscarriage by pushing her into the corner of the, of the counter because she chose life. This right here is an example of here we are in the cell together and she's very honest and frank that she's actually considering abortion again. And so here I am being able to extend the sidewalk in a sense where she is because when, when people choose life or choose to carry their pregnancy, it doesn't end there. We can't pat ourselves on the back and go forward. We, we must remember that their crisis doesn't end. And it was so clearly visible when I was um, in Flint holding. And that's Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan. And it was just, and when I learned about uh, there's an organization called Survived and Punished. I was just about to bring them up. I... And um, I'm very opened my eyes and just seeing um, how intimate partner violence is 
went, for example, when I was in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, jail, spent the night there and holding, I would say, f- half, half of the people who were, in, who were in holding with me were from self-defense, from intimate partner violence. And it, it's, it, it needs to be addressed. It definitely needs to be addressed. And the pro-life opportunities within, within the jail system, but then it's not just about abortion in a sense, it's about the dehumanization in general. Uh, I personally saw people being tortured saw people being tortured um, diagonal from me I convinced someone not to kill themselves I was put in solitary confinement in Flint because I used my phone call to tell my friend Sean to start a campaign for people to call the jailhouse um, to demand proper nutrition for the three pregnant people inside they were only being giving um, water with salt, and oh and um, they made it's called monkey brains, uh, bologna, mayonnaise, sugar, and onions blended up in a big container, and then they scoop it like ice cream. And so it was salt water and the monkey brains. And so I we start I started a little <laughs> activist campaign in holding. Well, they found out I was that person. Why they were getting hundreds of calls, so they put me naked in solitary. And so at the time I was like, oh. But in hindsight, I realized that um, I'm glad that happened. And in a weird sense, I'm glad that happened. So then I could see what was happening also, because I found that. When people come out of incarceration and they share their stories, they're dismissed because they're the bad guy. In a sense, there are even people I've dealt with who they believe they deserve what happened to them. But that's that's so insanity. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable to even think that. And so while I'm in solitary, big glass doors, and so everyone can see everyone. Person diagonal from me. I convinced him not to kill himself. The guy beside me, Newman, he'd been in his cell for one week, not been able to get shower, covered in feces. Every time the guards passed him, he said, they said, smell you later, Newman. The other person beside me, he did try to kill himself, drown himself in the toilet. And then what was really striking was the other person diagonal from me. Now, as we know, there's the Flint water crisis with the lead pipes. And so there's the choice of having the little boxed water that's just water and salt versus the water that's laced with lead. And this poor man was just crying out for hours and hours for something to drink. And they just ignored him. And he got to the point of frustration that he started... um, he threw his feces at one of the guards and that was just so that right there the dehumanization to strip someone's humanity and and to the point where they have been to 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 they get that point just for basic necessities of water 
Um, me personally, I was like, well, if I'm going down, I'm going down. I'll drink the I'll drink the lead water. I don't at this point. I don't care because <laughs> I mean uh, the the water was connected to the toilet, and I was like, well, the lead will they'll kill the bacteria. <laughs> so um, I when I was was I given the box water, I made sure that it was given over to him, and um, and it's just. And even after all of that, there is something very, that I have to acknowledge and we have to talk about. My whiteness gave me a level of protection that um, my brothers and sisters who are people of color did not receive. Even as I was treated so horribly, it was even worse. It was unimaginable for those people of color and this was directly i directly saw this in washington dc a woman across from me was crying for hours for water again for hours for water and as a catholic especially from um, mother Teresa, my work directly impacted by her where she said where christ said i thirst i thirst i thirst it was so disturbing to me and so haunting to see an image bearer of Christ crying out for water. Please, I need water. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And finally, I was like, and so then I knocked, I knocked around on the bars and I said, hey, hey, I need some water and water. And they immediately brought it to me and I immediately passed it over to her. And it was just that stark contrast of what was happening and and it was it was the privilege of my whiteness and now when i'm doing direct action and the and the and what happens afterwards with being incarcerated being in jail i have made a distinct effort to use that whiteness use my privilege to relieve the suffering of others around me instead of just taking those resources and the, that special protection and just using it for myself, I make a point to be an ally for others. Yeah, and an accomplice, I think. Not, not just an ally. Um, I, that's something that I noticed uh, when I was arrested yesterday because mm-hmm. I've, I've been involved in actions um, where, where people have been arrested or I've been jail support several times uh, in the past couple of years. And it, it was really striking to me as someone who, um, a couple weeks ago, I participated in a uh, an event where we, it was, I considered it a rescue in the, yes. in the style of um, yes. uh, Operation Rescue and Red Rose Rescue, where we, we blocked the doors to the, um, the military recruiting officer, um, the military recruitment officer office in Pittsburgh. Um, and um, I, I was involved in an action like that. Uh, a couple months ago, um, for the past year, really, uh, Pittsburgh has still been reeling over the murder of Antoine Rose Jr. Yes. Um, uh, if our listeners uh, don't know, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but Officer Michael Rosfeld, only hours after being sworn into uh, the uh, East Pittsburgh uh, Police uh, Brigade, um, shot and killed. Antoine Rose Jr., a, a teenager, shot him three times in the back as he was facing away. Um, and, you know, Pittsburgh is still reeling from that, but uh, I, I remember a lot of people, there were, there were protests, 
um, nothing violent, um, nonviolent direct action, blocking roads, things like that. Um, and the demographics of the people getting arrested, um, honestly, you know, it, it was a Black Lives Matter. Uh, Antoine was uh, African-American. Um, and uh, the demographics of the people getting arrested were, you know, young black men, mm-hmm. uh, black women especially. Um, and watching um, that group getting arrested and then watching pro-lifers getting arrested who are, you know, overwhelmingly maybe older white women yes. um, is the reality of it. The way that, uh, you know, we were treated was drastically different than um, what you see in a normal arrest or in even a civil disobedience arrest, Mm -hmm. depending on the demographic of people. And it's so clearly racialized um, and clearly racist, in my opinion. Um, And it's something that uh, uh, the the group of pro-lifers yesterday um, were talking about in the the cop car on the way back uh, to the station that... Uh, that many of us uh, had been arrested in, in other events not related to abortion necessarily and how we're treated for this issue compared to others um, and to be clear how we were treated was not well you know it was yeah. very unpleasant uh, <laughs> painful um, boring you know just not uh, I mean for hours you're sitting there I'm trapped yeah. in, a, in a room with Pat and Will yeah. that's not fun for anyone um, just the three of us sitting around hoping that they let us out um, but, but again, you know, one of my biggest complaints was that it was boring, not that I was very, um, physically abused in any way. Um, and that's not the case for a lot of people I know who have, um, been, been arrested regardless of the crime. Um, so I think that, that your point about the privilege that you have, um, is really good. And I think I, for me, really inspiring for, um, for you to say that, you're going to use it. Um, you're not just going to ignore it or let it be used um, to to benefit yourself, but you're going to pass it along mm-hmm. to to those of us who are less privileged. Yeah, I mean, I I would I would <laughs> I wouldn't be able to handle it. Uh, just watching, I've I've had people say, "Put your head down, don't start trouble." But it wouldn't be me. <laughs> it wouldn't be me. I started trouble to get there. I I can't I can't in good conscience watch others around me suffer without being in solidarity or being able to relieve some type of it. And if not being able to relieve, being able to be with them in that together. And so I mean it's it's the only logical conclusion. And so I'm gonna do what I can to <laughs> even even if it, even if I have to confront this discomfort with um, realizing how I grew up and realizing these implicit biases that it's taken me so long to finally address. I'm gonna I'm going to take those lessons and being humbled and being do what I can to do what needs to be done to rehumanize. I guess. You could say the the unborn, the abandoned, and the unloved. You mentioned it a bit earlier, uh, but I wanted to bring us back to, to this idea of uh, houselessness and uh, housing insecurity um, and, and how that um, sort of affects your work both within the, the traditional pro-life movement but also just in uh, serving people. So, so what I have found more and more of when I get into 
serving the um, unhoused communities and squatter communities, that there is a direct correlation between the number of abortions or people seeking abortions and housing insecurity. That people are one, almost one paycheck away from being on the streets. And so what's very interesting is in Baton Rouge, there's a very interesting when I sidewalk council, six, I would say six out of 10 people seeking abortions believe it's a murder, believe it's wrong, or don't want it. And then they still get the abortion. But they are in a situation where they've been pigeonholed into thinking this is their only option. And that is because of lack of funds for um, in uh, resources, or not even knowing that there are resources out there and so or the resources out there are tinged through the filter of the pro-choice ethos 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 and so what i've come to realize that housing rights i've had to incorporate that into uh, the pro-life housing rights are human rights and this came to head when um, Mama Kay was coming in for an abortion and she was and the option was being pregnant on the streets or being pregnant and staying at an abusive home and those two those two options regardless are horrible unworkable it's unworkable and so we came in Mercy Missions came in we took care of her throughout the pregnancy, and actually right now, she we moved her in across from the community house. And I watch her son um, Monday through Friday as well, and he goes along. Is that Baby Mason? Baby Mason. Yeah, if you follow Lauren on uh, Twitter or any social media, I imagine, um, it's all pictures of Baby Mason. <laughs> it's basically... It's, it's very cute. It's a it, Baby Mason fan account. <laughs> it, it basically, it was, and that was hard in the beginning, trying to do full-time missionary work and um, taking care of a child, but we found our groove, and he's my little partner. Um, but it was, <clears throat> by solving that issue of housing insecurity, she was able to choose life and she was able to get out of the situation that could have, like TT, have left her in a situation where she could have been uh, arrested for self-defense. And so uh, to switch over a way um, that not traditionally pro-life work is Mercy Missions also serves um, unhoused communities and squatter communities by providing basic first aid. And oftentimes, it's just sitting down and listening. They just want to talk, they want community, they want to share their stories without someone looking at them and commenting on the choices that led them to that place in their life, commenting on the fact that sometimes they're actively using drugs and um, and just meeting them as a person and having authentic conversations, but also addressing the needs that 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 have that le- that come with living on the streets. 
one of the things Mercy Missions does is we uh, socks and menstrual hygiene products are one of the two biggest things that that are important to to be fundraised to your local um, shelter, but also being directly given into um, um, unhoused communities. Now, Mercy Missions, we take it a step further, <clears throat> and we go where people traditionally say is not safe or don't waste your time. Uh, we even go to where people are actively um, actively currently doing drugs and uh, cleaning track wounds and we believe it's necessary to do that as well because um, giving people an opportunity to take that step if they choose to get out of that life that we we recognize their dignity and and not endorsing the behavior but also um, <laughs> making sure they don't get gangrene and they lose an arm. Yeah. This is the reality. Yeah, I, I think there's much to be said for the, the principles of harm reduction. Yes. Um, because, of, of course, no one thinks that, you know, heavy drug use is a, a good way of life. Mm -hmm. But going to someone who's a heavy drug user and telling them that doesn't doesn't help much. No, um, it, and, it's, and it's, for example... We have to remember why people have come to that choice in their life. And <clears throat> a lot of people are self-medicating from trauma or from pain. And, and instead of coming from a place of judgment, we ourselves have to humble ourselves and separate ourselves from our, our, our what we think they should do or what we think they should be like or how they should respond and meet them where they are at currently in their life and sometimes that means going to canal street at 3 a.m in the morning <laughs> don't tell my parents um <laughs> and sometimes that means getting over yourself and not flinching when someone who hasn't showered for two weeks wants to give you a hug you just, you have to put yourself, you have to acknowledge that you're going to have to be uncomfortable and that being uncomfortable is not bad because people can tell when you're doing work, serving, serving um, people, loving people, people can tell inherently or through your body language if you think you're better than them and that's not that's not true and authentic love and you you just have to remember that you could you could be in that situation you could I any anyways anyways uh, mercy missions what we're what what's what's striking with mercy missions is we go to the places literally where the abandoned of the abandoned that people have deemed um, not worth help we I don't accept that I don't I don't accept that I can't accept that I can't accept that if we believe all humans have value and worth then just because of some people's decision and actions doesn't change that oh, doesn't doesn't change that.
Sorry, I'm getting really passionate. No, it just, good, it, just, good. It's it just makes me frustrated. It makes me frustrated. I think uh, you mentioned something um, that I just want to highlight, uh, which was um, to give directly. Um, of course, give to local shelters, give as much as you can, give all your money away to charity, um, and be the perfect person like Lauren is. <laughs> but, uh, but more than that, give directly when you can. Um, it, for a lot of us, I think it, it can be more uncomfortable. Um, it's sort of easier to not think about uh, bad things in the world. Um, but as, as much as you can uh, give directly, uh, someone... This, in, this, oh, so, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, I, I was just going to say, uh, someone in my life who um, I love very much uh, is formerly homeless, and um, I, I, I can't stress enough how much direct conversation um, and direct aid and mutual aid is um, when it comes to people experiencing houselessness. Not only that, a lot of these shelters... Um, if you have a charge on your record for intimate partner violence, you're disqualified from from services. Now, like TT, she has intimate partner violence on her record for trying to protect her and her child. And so if she ever found herself in a situation, she wouldn't be able to receive those services. One time when um, the big homeless shelter in Judiciary Square in D.C., I was dropping off supplies and they took me into the back and the whole back was filled with menstrual hygiene products. And I was just talking to someone on the street saying how they never give any out. And I don't understand this hoarding of resources. Um, and so... Once again, it's the, the you trying to serve the people who are falling through the cracks of the system. And honestly, I would say I would say um, vet the homeless shelter and see the homeless shelter before you start giving them money and supplies. Um, just like with anything, there's corruption in it in every in every aspect, even in even in places that are trying to be the that have good intentions. Also, um, if you want to get involved with uh, collecting uh, supplies, uh, bras and underwear are very important too, and not just traditional bra sizes and traditional underwear sizes. This By is that you mean like triple XL? Yeah, yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. yeah. Donate local. Donate to small organizations. Yeah, donate to Lauren's organization. No, donate to rehumanize. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, but actually, where can we go to follow your work more? Um, um, and, and to donate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a website, mercymissions.net. The power of small donations. $5, $10, $15, is such a beautiful experience to see that people come together and and instead of picking up a coffee or or 
or any other type of small luxury to pass it over to Mercy Missions and to see like 20 people do that and we're able to fund um, someone in a crisis pregnancy. We're able to help emergency rent assistance. And so uh, we're not asking for big, big. It's, it's, it's beautiful to see small donations add, ab- add up to uh, a movement of caring and love and mutual aid. Yeah. I think that um, because Rehumanize, we're not really focused on uh, service as much as we are education, discourse, and action. Um, and, you know, I, I personally believe there's room for both. But I think especially when it comes to people involved in these service missions is I think many of us, uh, many of our listeners who may be in more of the professional class, um, they want to help people. Uh, but because of their lifestyle, because of you know their family, they don't feel as though they can give away everything to the poor and serve full time. Um, and that's acceptable. But let us be your hands and feet, I think, is is really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Let um, people like Lauren uh, <laughs> and me sometimes when I get my butt down to Baton Rouge to, to <laughs> help out. Um, yeah, let them be your hands and feet. Um, they, they can do the work that you care about um, that you might not have the time to do. Um, so donate. Donate generously. No, donate, donate. That's a, a, the podcast always just turns into because I want to platform people that I like, and then I'm like, also just donate to them. Send them all your money. Um, also donate to Ricky. <laughs> <laughs>